kiss for a woman and a blow for a man. It was his personal statement, a turning against any kind of control after his years in the army. He was a shade under 5'10", much of his face covered by the beard, and his eyes were grey, like water over stone. He was dressed totally in black, a kind of jersey with a collar fastened by a single button at the neck, black jacket and trousers, obviously Brioni. His mobile phone, encrypted, buzzed. Bounin said, Turn left out of the entrance, fifty meters, and I'm waiting. Black Volvo. Kurbsky didn't reply, simply switched off, went out, found the nearest elevator, and descended. He went out of the entrance of the hotel, ignoring the staff on duty, walked his fifty meters, found the Volvo, and got in. How far? he asked. Bounin glanced briefly at him and smiled through gold-rimmed glasses. He had thinning hair and the look of somebody's favorite uncle about him, except that he was GRU. Fifteen minutes. I've checked it. Let's get on with it, then. Igor Vronsky was thirty-five and looked ten years older, but that was his drug habit. A paisley neckerchief at his throat and a midnight blue velvet jacket combined by intention to give him a theatrical look. His notoriety in Moscow these days didn't worry him. The government loathed him for his book on Putin's time in the KGB, but this was America. He had a new job writing for the New York Times, and they couldn't touch him. He smiled at himself in the bathroom mirror, then leaned down to inhale the first of two lines of cocaine that waited. It was good stuff, absolutely, and he followed it with the second line. He was dizzy for a moment, then slightly chilled in the brain and suddenly very sharp and ready for the great Alexander Kurbsky. There was an old Russian saying, There is room for only one cock on any dunghill. He had no illusions that Kurbsky would be the star attraction at this soiree, but it might be amusing to knock him off his pedestal. He never books a cab, Bounin had said. It's only a step into Columbus Avenue where he can have them by the dozen. So Kurbsky waited in the shadows for Vronsky to emerge, stand for a moment under the light of the doorway to his apartment building, then advance to the left, pulling up his collar against the rain. As he passed, Kurbsky reached out and pulled him close with considerable strength, his left arm sliding around the neck in a chokehold, the blade of his bone-handled gutting-knife springing into action at the touch of the button. Vronsky was aware of the needle-point nudging in through his clothing, the hand now clamped over his mouth, the blade seeming to know exactly what it was doing as it probed for the heart. He slid down in a corner of the doorway and died very quickly on his knees. Kurbsky took out a fresh handkerchief, wiped the knife clean, and closed it. Then he leaned over the body, found a wallet and mobile phone, turned, and walked to where Bounin waited. He got in the Volvo, and they drove away. It's done, Bounin said. Kurbsky opened the glove compartment and put the wallet inside, plus the mobile phone. You'll get rid of those. Just another street mugging. He was on coke. Are you sure? I'm sure. He took out a pack of Marlboros. Bounin said, Does it bother you? Kurbsky said calmly, Did Chechnya bother you? He lit a cigarette. Anyway, I'm not in the mood for discussion. I've got a performance to give. 
Let's get the great Alexander Kurbsky on stage. When Monica Starling and Professor Dunkley went into the reception at the pier, it was awash with people, the surroundings magnificent, the great and the good well in evidence. The champagne flowed. Monica and Dunkley took a glass each, moved to one side, and simply observed the scene. He's there, Dunkley said, talking to the French ambassador, Henri Guillon, and the Russian, uh, what's his name again? Ivan Makayev, Monica told him. They seem very enthusiastic about something, their heads together, except for Korbsky. He looks bored, if anything, Monica said. We'll be lucky to get anywhere near him, Dunkley told her mournfully. Look at all those people hovering like vultures, waiting for the ambassadors to finish with him so they can move in. We've had it. Oh, I don't know. She stood there.